0: This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethix. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethix Technologies based in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone. Indeed, I am with some people from uh, DataEQ. And uh, for those who don't know, DataEQ enables everyone across the organization to participate in building artificial intelligence and consuming AI-driven applications. They build a platform that provides support from Essentially, the entire workflow uh, in machine learning and artificial intelligence from data preparation to visualization, machine learning, MLOps, data ops, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, it's not machine learning platforms that we want to speak about today. In fact, today we speak about history. And uh, of course, before getting into the details of today's episode, let me introduce you to the guests of the show, Triveni Gandhi and uh, Sean McGeer. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. Thanks for having us here. Thank you. Thanks for,
2: thanks for having us.
0: You're very welcome, indeed. So uh, Triveni is a senior data scientist uh, at Dataiku, and uh, Sean uh, is an AI evangelist. And uh, I would definitely love to ask uh, both of them uh, what is their uh, daily job about at DataEco, and of course, about their background. How did they land to the world, to the fantastic world of data science and the machine learning?
1: Uh, so I can start, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal Sean's background as I reveal mine because we have the same background. <laughs> Somehow we both ended up at Dataiku. We both did PhDs in political science. Uh, Sean's being much more useful than mine, I will say. <laughs> I would debate that. <laughs> we can debate it. We can debate it later. Uh, but yeah, so Sean and I actually both had PhDs in political science. We came to Dataiku through our own paths. So I'll let him tell his. But for me, you know, I. I realized that I wanted to be working in a field that was a little bit more impactful and, and on the ground. So via data analytics and working in nonprofits, found myself sort of picking up things with R, Python, et cetera. And here I am at Data IQ, where I've been supporting our clients on their journey to you know leveraging AI in their day-to-day business, as well as developing sort of uh concepts and ideas around responsible use of AI uh, for for businesses that are maybe not thinking about it all the time. Uh, so yeah, that's been, that's been a lot of my, my work at IQ. Interesting.
2: And I also have a PhD in, in political science. Um, I was convinced for a time that I wanted to be an academic and I liked, uh, trying to understand the political world and I liked working with data and I found that there was this discipline that was able to do both. And then over time I slowly fell out of love with that discipline and, uh, uh, and academia in general, but luckily uh, timed it perfectly that this thing called data science had been invented or then diagrammed into existence by that time and uh, went into some data consulting, um, got a job in industry uh, here in uh, London, and then joined DataReku in February as an AI evangelist, um, which is just a person with a practitioner and a data leader background who um, can talk about what we do. Uh, to uh, the wider uh, public, but also works with customers to articulate what they're trying to do as well.
0: Very interesting. This is one of these rarest moments where there are three PhDs on the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I give
1: out to anybody these days. All
0: right. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So as I mentioned, uh, in this show, we are going to speak about Something about history, in fact. Well, in fact, history of data science. (laughs) And uh, and there is a a website uh, that goes under the name of historyofdatascience.com, which is pretty explicit. I don't think there are, you know, no explanation is needed to understand what you can find on that website. Uh, But I do love the tagline, uh, which goes uh, like, discover the stories of heroes who transformed our daily lives. I mean, that's so amazing, because indeed, something is happening these days, and it's not something that happened overnight, right, guys?
2: Yes, we, we put this, uh, this project together for a couple of different reasons. So Dataiku is um, a little interesting sometimes in how we, we market ourselves. What we like to do is, is look at topics in this field that people are not speaking about um, enough. Uh, there's lots of people out there talking about technology, um, but I think we're a, a people-centered uh, company. I'd say. And so we're all about bringing the tools and the benefits to, to everybody. And so the, the project has the goal of highlighting those narratives of the people behind some of the big inventions people might have might have heard about. So, you know, we all love talking tech, but there's people behind this and we want to empower people with that um, tech. And we wanted to reach people uh, with the project. It's a website, but also a really nice uh, book, graphic design uh, novel. Um who may not know the history as well, uh, and the interesting thing about the stories we collected, uh, you notice two very interesting things about about them all. Whether you look at you know Ada Lovelace or Thomas Bayes, Katherine Johnson or Ross uh, Ihaka, often they spent a lot of lonely uh, years out on a limb, being railed at by some kind of establishment who didn't want to listen to them. Think about Bayes' theorem, uh, how long it took, not just to be, you know computationally feasible but to be taken um, seriously so all of these people were sort of innovators but they weren't always taken seriously at the time but the other thing and the important thing and we'll talk about it more today is um, where we are today is is interestingly a product of uh, the diversity of scientific approaches that were taken so you look at uh, all the people who contributed they came from such different fields Um, but also there's a, a lack of diversity uh, as there is in in many other things in life, in the people who who have decided what innovation is and who should get the credit for those inventions. So, we wanted to put some stories in a very nice book. Customers like it when we leave it behind uh, at an event. Um, we expand on all those themes in the website, and it's really just to get more of that nitty gritty history of of the individuals and the field uh, in the minds of more people, so that we can we can change the future. Uh, as we and others uh, push the tools of AI into more people's hands,
0: hundred percent. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, being a, a technical person myself, uh, I find that you know, first of all, there were many people I personally didn't know <laughs> by looking at the website. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, which is which is. I mean, it's it's not it's not incredible, but there are a lot of people that, of course, are not on the mainstream of things that we see and we use every day. I mean, algorithms for my personal case, of course. But I also think that things are much, more, are much nicer when you understand, when you know their history. Uh, how did we get here? Uh, that's what I find really fascinating. So, I mean, how did you guys come, with the, come up with the idea of putting together all these major events in the field of data science? And, and I guess my next question, actually, I would like to merge that in, in this, is is this a kind of never-ending pro- project? Because, you know, we are writing history as we go, right?
1: Yeah. I think that what's really interesting about this project is that it is a living project. You know, it's not a book that we wrote and now it's just out there forever and ever and it's never going to change. You know, We have a website, com, where we're constantly adding new innovators to to our pages so that you can go back and say, all right, I want to look at everybody from as early as the the 17th century to now um and who's coming up in, in this field. So it's it's a living history and by knowing the the you know the past, we can actually build a better future. And so it's it's not a sort of stagnant thing for us.
2: Yeah and I'd add that um you know, we, we all know any technology can be misused, right? And so we, we kind of view it as our responsibility as well because we're all about making AI an everyday thing and putting those uh, tools in the hands of more people. We think we have a responsibility as people who have that mission to also um, educate everyone about the history uh, of, of the tools. Not, not everyone that we highlight is an entirely pleasant character with the with the benefit of of, of hindsight, so we really want uh, people to know uh, where the ideas come from, what how they were developed, what they were used for, and how they can be used responsibly um, today. And so, yeah, if you understand that history, you're going to be you know more likely to repeat uh, the good parts of it.
0: That's very true. Who, who do you think is gonna is gonna enjoy the most uh, <laughs> the, the the content of the website uh, between, for example, technical people, non technical people? uh wh- what do you think is the right target?
2: Well, as we already all acknowledged, there were many people that we had not heard of, so it's it's always interesting to find more stories. But I think if you just view this field as you know, tapping away on the keyboard and churning out out models you may not find it uh, uh, that interesting because it's not a textbook about how, how to do that. it's you know it's, it's uh, stories about where these people came from and where these ideas um, came from. The interesting thing about looking back to where ideas came from is that you can sometimes generate new ideas out of seeing those those patterns. So I'd say it's for the people who, who really are interested in, in what's next uh, and, and how to spread this, this technology wider.
0: And and the good part of it, I, I suppose, is that you don't really need to know, uh, you know, to, to have technical knowledge to understand the content of the website, which is also, you know, a first step towards, let's say, democratization of, of data science in a way, right?
1: Right. The intended audience really is someone who's not coming from a highly technical background, but still works with data and is interested in learning more about the world of AI. You know, uh, these days, every business is using data, uh, whether it's, very advanced things like image recognition or whatever it might be versus very simple sort of uh, models to just forecast sales in the next year. So being able to understand the history of the most complex AI, as well as the basics of statistics that inform a lot of what we're doing today is really important for even business users who might not be behind, behind the code or, or, or typing away the right. code. Right.
0: Well, I'm definitely stating the obvious now, which is you know the fact that data science and, and machine learning, artificial intelligence, how we know them today, uh, would have not been possible without the many discoveries from the past, right? Uh, my question is, I guess, uh, who do you think has contributed the most to AI and machine learning as fields as we know them today?
1: Well, I think the, the website does highlight a lot of the sort of historical names that if you are in the, you know, the world of machine learning, you know about things. People like, you know, Alan Turing and Ian Lacoon and the rest. But what's interesting to me are the people that we might not talk about all the time, but are actually highly influential in the space. And they're much more recent um, in their, sort of in their um, support for this field.
2: So Andrew Ng is one of those people that maybe straddles that divide. You know, that it's a his name is uh is is pretty uh well known uh, obviously co-founder of Coursera and a leading light in uh, the spread of deep learning to all kinds of new domains and has moved on to to other uh endeavors as well it's really interesting um turn in what he started to focus on so he started to- talking a lot more recently about how important data is for the for these models uh, obviously uh early on in the development and the spread of deep learning, Uh, everyone, including uh, Andrew Ng, was um, talking about architecture and the history of these ideas and how they map to ways that we think the brain works and how we can do that. And I've I've done two of his um, Coursera courses to demystify the insides of deep learning for myself, which was very, uh, very useful. But I think every person working at the theory level, which I think he did for a while, the more they confront business problems and real-world challenges, the more they realize what else matters. And one of those things is, you know, the the data that you start with is highly determining of uh, the model and the outcome that you end up uh, producing or or reproducing. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I think someone else that we kind of know about, but we haven't ever really explicitly talked about, uh, is someone named Fei-Fei Li. And she was actually uh, sort of the original creator of the ImageNet database, which of course, we know has problems, uh, but she's you know acknowledged those and has has become a, a really vocal voice in bringing diversity into AI into STEM as well as um, creating more human centric approaches to AI. So her work has been really pivotal as well for the development of AI, um, especially when you think about computer vision.
2: Well, as someone who you know invented a technique and you know. Uh, helped spread it. But, you know, for us, it's always interesting, those people who have that reflection, to to know when they've hit the limits, and to recognize that, and then actually change the course of their career and what they're researching on, uh, to, to try and correct some of those shortcomings.
1: Right. And it's funny, because some of those shortcomings were uh, found by the other two women I'd like to mention as a sort of pivotal and seminal p- people in this field, uh, Dr. Timnit Gebru and Dr. Joy Baluwamy, Bel- who are both uh, incredibly talented computer scientists that actually discovered a, a number of sort of data issues with ImageNet, um, going back to what Sean was saying was that the data itself was biased. There weren't a lot of representations of people of color, of women of color, and as a result, ImageNet was not able to actually accurately uh, uh, you know classify people of color with with the existing data sets. So their work on that, bringing that story to life um, and all of the sort of subsequent uh, activism and work they've done. Um, as we know, Dr. Gabru was very publicly fired from Google because she took a stand. Uh, and so the, their, I think they're sort of pioneering in this sense is really critical as well and forms a foundation for the, the future history of AI.
0: Yeah, I cannot agree more. I mean, uh, in fact, the entire field, and uh, you mentioned, of course, computer vision, and uh, here I'm going to respond with, for example, deep learning technology, is something that in the last few years has been and still is something extremely experimental. So, uh, you know, going in the world and say, I found a solution is kind of a big step uh, because people are experimenting Pretty much every day with uh, uh, with these new models and with these new technologies, um, I guess that of course there are you know uh, of course people that contribute who contributed to improving and 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 building and shaping uh, AI and data science as we know them today. Uh, There's been a lot of hardware improvements, new material, uh, new. Production technologies and improvements in in the hardware. I mean, uh, of course, you know we need a, another episode just to mention this these other uh, you know events that that occurred in the years. Um, but I guess my question and where I want to move the conversation is towards you know the the big players, uh, you know the usual suspects, Google, Facebook, and and all the other big players that we know, right? Uh, who have been indeed playing. A fundamental role in, in the world of AI and machine learning uh, due to one simple fact, the costs uh, and resources. Uh, deep learning models and uh, a terabyte of data is something that, of course, only few organizations have the resources to, to do research and to train models and to productize models and so on and so forth. How do you think that you know these big players have contributed to AI and machine learning, and I guess we can have a conversation or a discussion about how do you think we regular people have benefited from from these big players uh, in the arena?
2: I love the phrase "regular people," although uh, the people on, the people on this uh, podcast episode may not may not qualify. I, um, <laughs> I do like to, to point out to customers sometimes when they are you know thinking about how they're going to go on their journey uh, using AI, applying it to all the processes where they think it can drive value. Uh, I like to point out sometimes that they, this is really hard and they don't necessarily have the resources, effectively unlimited resources of some of those companies that, 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 that you named. Um, having said that, I think, you know, there are contributions uh, that ha- that have be made to individuals practice. So, you know, I've personally benefited in my own work as a data scientist from, research contributions by all those big players. Um, And those big players are also very open about how difficult this is. There's a a great um, quote from a research paper by Google that I use all the time about, you know, the academic community may be surprised to learn that uh, in a machine learning project, uh, uh, 95% of the code is to do with machine learning and 95% is, is, is glue. And so I think those big players by sort of spending their way through those problems have shown uh, the value of different solutions and they have open sourced and shared a ton of great stuff that we as regular people can all can all benefit from. But I think you're hinting there that that level of concentration of resources and innovation definitely tips the scales in in a particular direction that's not neutral.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say that uh, places like Google, even Mozilla, um, you know, they put out pre-trained models that the rest of us can actually benefit from because the computational cost of training a language detection or image detection model is not is not trivial. So there is a lot of contribution in that sense, and it's been very helpful for people to then continue to push the boundaries without needing 10, 10 million GPUs or whatever it is. Uh, I also would argue from a very uh, uh, controversial standpoint, players like Google and Facebook have actually contributed to better discussions on AI ethics by pure fact of maybe not being as good at the AI ethics as they should be. Uh, and you know, surfacing issues or inadvertently causing issues that now we can better pinpoint and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to go back and, and review things. We need to understand this better. So in some ways, our clients can actually learn from them and their mistakes to avoid those things looking forward.
0: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, when I said regular people, of course, uh, <laughs> it's because uh, very recently there has been a, a new model that we actually introduced in a, another episode on this show uh, where they reduced the costs of training this massive, uh, uh, you know, model, deep learning model from something like 20 million dollars to three hundred thousand dollars, or something like that still who out there would be willing to spend 300 grand <laughs> for training a, a deep learning model and, and god knows what happens next like can can we actually use it for something or or we have to retrain uh, <laughs> so there is a barrier there is a massive barrier uh, and I, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna go anytime soon what do you what do you guys think
2: no i think the the ambitions increase you know, once something like that becomes possible, uh, people will strive as they should to do more ambitious things. Um, but I think, as you said, there's a there's a cascade effect that you know there's not probably that many companies who you know, even with that more than you know ten times improvement in cost can uh, can now do it themselves. It's it's further down the chain, right? When because of that something else is possible uh, that many others can can benefit. Certainly. Many of our customers, if we told them that um, to do something to to, to train a model was going to cost that much, they might um, look uh, a little concerned. But we do know that many of our customers use some of these pre-trained models as part of a workflow. Uh, We do that internally as well. Um, For some image recognition tasks, it's really great to start with the hard work that um, a huge player has already done, and then you know find out how to adapt uh, that for a more specific purpose. And that's you know that's a great way to benefit from. The investment by others.
1: I would also argue that the you know the three hundred thousand dollar model or the training of that might be really interesting from a purely sort of research or um, big data point, but the majority of people using AI today don't really need that kind of model uh, to be built from scratch for them. There are open source resources. There are plenty of things they can do, and there are plenty of things that are AI that we don't really classify as such. So. Um, you know, when we think about AI in the enterprise, we like to think about, oh, like Google and Facebook and Netflix. But there are plenty of uh, enterprises that are not those those guys that are doing really interesting work with AI without needing to spend 300K on GPUs or whatever.
0: And, and of course, I'm going to be biased here, but uh, <laughs> pun intended.
2: <laughs> no, but <laughs>
0: most, of, most of the time, these small players actually have to find way, let's say, smarter solutions, uh, just because they don't have access to, for example, the ton of data, the ton of infrastructure, uh, you know, to make things faster or even feasible. And so they have to find, you know, they have to be more creative, let me put it like that, uh, in finding, you know, better solutions that that work uh, anyway. Uh, So yeah, you have a point there. Ooh, so we made it through the, the big data space, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I think there is one more thing that I would definitely love to know your opinion about, which is uh, ethical AI and uh, you know it's <laughs> i see you already
1: <laughs> I, I don't i don't have an opinion on that
2: well, what <laughs> no so <laughs> it's just technology what's what, what's it? <laughs> Tri- triveni for
0: those who don't know is pretty much into that field uh, <laughs> thankfully because i think that we need way more more and more people uh, in you know thinking about and and enforcing ethics uh, in uh, uh, production of AI models and uh, uh, data manipulation strategies and and etc. So it is very important. Uh, a, a lot of there, a lot of a lot more people out there already speaking these these days, these these last few years probably uh, about ethical AI, explainability in AI um, are all concepts that uh, we are hearing much more about. And so, back in the days, there was one. I mean, in the days like a few years ago, uh, people were pretty much uh, uh, accuracy oriented, model accuracy oriented. Uh, so that was the only metric that uh, you know we were considering uh, to measure the quality of a model. Today, there are other metrics, and that that we have to use. Is that model? Ethical is that data really representing uh, that particular population? So Triveni, I I don't anticipate anything. I I let let you speak and give you the space that you deserve to make us familiar with these concepts
1: and this field. Oh, thank you. That's that's very kind of you. Yeah, I think that you know the concept of ethical AI is very broad and it can get really hairy because then what is ethics? What is right? What is wrong? These are all questions that then. Are, are what one has to grapple with. Uh, but what you can do is start at a very baseline of, does this model work equally well for all of the different subgroups in my data set? right? So if I build a model and the accuracy is 95%, woo, let's go. But then I look in and I see that actually the model's really accurate for men and horribly horrible at predicting correct outcomes for women. Maybe this isn't actually a good model. So, those are the baseline questions that we can start asking in the space around, you know, AI ethics broadly, and really thinking about creating fair and balanced uh, models, as well as looking through our data for those biases that we know are going to be there, and being able to explain why is this model, you know, doing what it's doing, uh, and not putting this black box there. So, I think something that's uh, really critical here is that there are a number of sort of people who have brought these topics to light. You know, like you said, this is not something new. So there are a lot of aspects to AI ethics. And, you know, these are just some of the very high level points that I can, I can point out. But um, it, is a, it is a deep and wide field and one that's gaining more and more traction.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, I, I think I, I haven't found an ethical AI crusader on the, on the website, History uh, of Data Science. Uh, or am I missing something? Uh,
1: yeah, actually, uh, we do highlight some of these ethical crusaders. Uh, and these are folks that are actually trying to w- change the way we develop our AI, the way we apply it. Uh, but you're right that a lot of people who are data scientists in the field don't know about these, th- these folks or their contributions. Um, and so one way to think about it, right, is to look at the rebels against the history written so far. Uh, The folks who are looking back and saying, hey, you know, we did this wrong. We need to uh, do better moving forward so that we don't have so we don't repeat these mistakes. Uh, And if you need examples of AI gone wrong, you know, there are thousands of articles about this algorithm, that algorithm, this thing, uh, all all going south. So that's not hard to find. But the question is, what do we do about it? And uh, there are a number of crusaders out there. You know, I could I could literally sit here for an hour just listing names for you, and I won't do that, even though I really wanted <laughs> <Thank> to. <laughs> I mean, this could we could just go on and on. But um, just for right now, I want to highlight a few names. Um, you know, we we mentioned Dr. Gabru and Joy Balawami's contribution in the space and what they've done. Um, but also, there are a number of people in the research space that have been bringing forward important concepts. Uh, computer scientists like Arvind Narayana, who is a uh, professor of computer science at Princeton, and he's actually, you know, proposed not only more principles around fairness for machine learning, but also questions around web privacy, um, stopping sort of tracking tools that are that are following us on the web, um, and the broader question of like dark patterns when it comes to our data, and then. Uh, Similar, in a similar vein, uh, in sort of the part research, part applied space is Dr. Rachel Thomas, who is a professor, um, I believe in Queensland, yes, Queensland University. And she actually founded the Center for Applied Data Ethics at the University of San Francisco. But she's also very well known for uh, fast AI, which is make ne- uh, neural networks uncool, right? <laughs> which is to say, Take away this like black box of oh neural networks and data science is so difficult and and high level, but anybody can do this. Anybody can benefit from it, and anybody can also use AI ethics in their data science practice. It's not some like
2: uh, unsurmountable task. Yeah, for me that's really important. Um, the you know the the individual practitioner matters a lot here. So um, I before data science existed. And when I first worked with data, I was uh, working in an official statistics agency on the census. And it's some of the most sensitive data, or it's the most sensitive data that a government ever collects about people. And so I had it drummed into me very early, I guess, things about ethics of data collection. I think um, what these uh, researchers are, are pointing out, many of them is, we have to change the practice of how this work is done if we just wait until bad things happen and then we try to fix them, or if we, if we just continue with the same bad practices, you know, an obsession with narrow concepts of accuracy, there's no algorithm that can come in and save the day when we've made those uh, poor choices. So poor choices start with the practices that individuals and teams uh, make. And so these people pointing out these uh, shortcomings and offering ways to overcome them, they're not saying this or that algorithm is wrong. They're trying to give us tools, all of us doing this work, to to do the work better.
0: Yes, I, I think that many people out there, myself included in the first years, uh, have been forgetting about the human factor uh, in artificial intelligence. Uh, And so automating too much things because, you know, algorithms were cool, forgetting about what you just mentioned, like the the preparation, considering what type of data, which data, uh, representing the population in an unbiased fashion. This is where the human factor actually is, right? Uh, This is where machines cannot make a decision. And and we've seen machines failing at these tasks many, many times.
1: So uh, I think that's a great point, Francesco, right? Because there is a human factor. There are all these considerations when it comes to understanding the problems with our data science. And oftentimes we don't even realize them because, you know, uh, Sean and I come from a social sciences background. So we, we've been thinking about these things for a while, but the average data scientist might not be. So um, the sort of last person I wanted to mention as a crusader in this space, you know, one of many uh, is Yeshi Milner, who's started the Data for Black Lives organization that actually is committed to researching the uh, impacts of algorithmic sort of oppression on people of color in the United States and worldwide, as well as um, showcasing how these algorithms could be improved, could be actually uh, made more inclusive through various techniques and uh, mathematical approaches that I, I won't get into here. But, the, I think the point here is that with the AI crus- crusaders that, that we're highlighting uh, you know, on the website, on, on our blogs, all the rest, they are all focused on increasing the conversation so that the, the average regular day-to-day uh, data scientist is starting to think about these things and starting to question what makes sense for their use case, for their model. Um, should we even be building a model To predict if someone's going to commit a crime or not. Probably not. And, you know, maybe we wouldn't have thought about that if not for a crusader coming in and saying, by the way, this is kind of weird and problematic. Don't do this. So, yeah, I think the raising the conversation, raising the stakes and offering the tools on how to do something about it is what all of these people are doing um, and doing quite well
0: makes sense. So I guess I missed something <laughs> that are ethical ai crusaders on the, on the website and uh, I really invite the listeners again uh, historyofdatascience.com of course as always we'll report the links in the show notes of this episode. It's an amazing website. I I found a lot of Things that I didn't know before, there's always stuff to learn, that's for sure. And that website really helped me out uh, in getting familiar with the unknown uh, people who really made my day many times (laughs) in artificial intelligence and and machine learning. Guys, I think that we are at the classical question of this show, uh, which is, in fact, how do you guys see uh, the future of AI? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What should we expect in the next five to ten years? So I'll give you the space. Enlighten us.
2: <laughs> I guess one of my pet projects in general is always taking hype down a notch. Um, so you know, much of what is written about and many of the forecasts about what's coming soon are, are written by big players, a certain elite who have access to, to people and resources, um, that allow them to do amazing um, things. I personally think we're quite a long way off any kind of artificial general intelligence, uh, killer (laughs) robots kind of scenario, because I've seen and built things that didn't work very well. And so I just, uh, I'm deeply skeptical about uh, the machine's ability right now to, to take over the world. And that's just a massive kind of, I think, distraction of the value that is available. Across large organizations, small organizations, for individuals to, you know, take these techniques and apply them to problems big and small, and that's really what you know drew me to work at Dataiku because that's what that's what we're about. You shouldn't need to have access to those unlimited resources, and so uh, over the next five, ten years, we're just going to see the entry barriers come down, and as the entry barriers come down, more voices will get in the room. And some of these issues that we've been talking about, hopefully, they don't require as many crusaders uh, to bring them to our attention because they're just the way we do the work. Um, hopefully, soon.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you there, Sean. I think that there's a lot of conversation about like, oh, you know, Terminator-style robots, or are we going into an AI winter? Like, AI is going to fall apart. And what we don't, what we keep like missing is that AI is pervasive, and it's happening in your organization, whether or not you realize it, right? It could be a model that you're building in an Excel spreadsheet, which you should probably get out of the Excel spreadsheet now. Uh, But you could be just as simple as that, uh, or it could be, you know, image and voice recognition, real-time streaming data. That's, it's a huge gamut. And so uh, Sean's, Sean's point is, you know, really (laughs) very much aligned with my own, that the future is not about developing something new, but rather improving on what we are already doing today.
0: Well, I would love to close this episode with, uh, you know, by quoting a guy (laughs) who said once, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. The important thing is not to stop questioning. And that was Albert Einstein. (laughs) So the reason I'm I'm mentioning this is, uh, do you guys think that uh, there are some analogies with uh, data science and AI?
2: Definitely. When I was leading a data science team, I we often joked about um, how we should print a t-shirt for ourselves uh, that would say, no answers without questions. Because a lot of people who invest in data and AI, they think that you put some money in a machine, you pull a lever and like, out comes a perfectly formed insight. I called it the insight machine. that's not That's not how it works. And so questioning um, our data questioning ourselves our approach our results that kind of deep skepticism about everything you think you might have found is I guess part of our training Treveni so it comes very naturally to us but it it's not necessarily part of of the training of everyone who ends up in this field oh yeah I remember being taught what's the
1: puzzle what are you trying to address you know before you get into anything I will just say that this this quote is really great Francesco because it is kind of machine learning, learn from the past, validate on today and hope that it works tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) But then the important thing is to not stop questioning. The important thing is to not stop interrogating that and making sure that it's relevant, it's fair, it's useful and it's needed. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can ask ourselves and not have to take blindly as like, oh, a machine said it, the computer said it. Uh, and so keep questioning, and and in my 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 life mo is challenge everything. So this this just kind of works for me <laughs> overall.
0: Yeah. So yes, these are principles that we should apply indeed in uh, uh, everything from machine learning to life in general. <laughs> That's for sure. Yep. Well, thank you very much for uh, for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate that. I'm sure that the listeners of this podcast will enjoy listening to this as much as i enjoyed uh having this conversation with you um this was trivani gandhi and uh, sean McGear from data IQ. and uh also we have been speaking about the history of data science history of is the reference website you will find the link in the show notes of this episode as always and uh thank you very much guys
1: thanks for having us this was great my
2: pleasure thank you